Anyways, I'm going to introduce you to our speaker for today. His name is Marcus Corpening. Um, I mean, I've, I've been in Korea since 2007, and you know, I met Marcus from the beginning. Um, I've seen him mature and grow, uh, but not just mature and grow, but just take it to a whole nother level. And to be able to be a campus pastor of a, of a church by himself, even starting at such a young age, it really boggles my mind. I'm like 30-something years old. I still am 30-something years old. I have a wife that is giftedly gifted. Is it get out of word? Like uh, giftedly gifted. She's like amazingly gifted in admin. And, uh, and she's, she's such a, a mighty preacher and a mighty warrior. Um, alongside me, doing this with me, and it's hard. But throughout this, the years, you know, he's been the, the campus pastor of, of E101 Church Plant, doing such an amazing job. We got to see the fruits of his labor at the E101 retreat last week. It was powerful. And, and, and I believe that what it was, you know, it was, it was sparked off in such an amazing way. It's because of just the passion and the zeal that Marcus carries. And, and you, can tell, you can tell that the congregation was right because he'd been praying and they'd been warring. You know, and it was, it was just, you know, all I did, had to do was like, pray in Jesus' name. And they're like, ah, the power of God fell. It was powerful. You know, but it just really show, goes to show um, this is amazing man of God, the heart, the heart that he carries. Uh, he, he preached for us one of the nights at our retreat and it was last night and it was really powerful. Um, carries an amazing authority and he's very good looking, but he's taken. There's a sister named Anna Rowe that used to be a part of our church plant. She was one of the, uh, the ten that came with us uh, in 2012. And since then, she got a full-time uh, ministry calling. Uh, we pray for her right like right about here one night. She's like, I feel like I have a full-time ministry call. She became one of the interim pastors. And then right after that, they just start to date. And now they like each other a lot. Um, so some of you guys know Anna. And so... Let's welcome him up. His name is Marcus Corpening. I'm blushing. I I didn't even know that's possible. <laughs> um, yeah, but I didn't know that's possible for. Uh, black people to blush. Uh, so yes, my name is Marcus, and um, I oversee the Etawan Church Plant. So I'm a part of New Philly. I've been at New Philly for, whew, uh, since 2007. And then I, I'm from North Carolina, born and raised. So I'm also from the South, like Rodney. We say guitar. We say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We don't say Wednesday. Who needs to say all the letters, you know? <laughs> and so um, it's just a blessing to be here. This past uh, weekend, I was here at the leadership retreat here in Busan and uh, just spending time with the leaders. And it was an awesome time uh, for me personally. God did a lot of things in my own heart as I was here. And and then uh, pastors Caleb and Mina asked me to preach today. And so I was just really excited uh, humbled and blessed just to have another opportunity to preach here at Busan. I've only preached one other time, and that was last year. And so to preach again, uh, it's just really exciting. Uh, so let me just, everyone bow your heads. I'm just going to say a word of prayer, and we're going to get right into the word. Father, we thank you. 
we thank you, Lord, for your word. For Jesus, you said the words that I give to you are spirit and they are truth. And so, God, I pray that as your word is preached, God, would your word go out in the spirit and establish your people in truth. I pray, Father, that, Lord, that as I preach, God, that every heart would be made wide open by your spirit. I pray that every person who may have come in doubting or struggling, God, that right now, by your own anointing and power, you would just break off whatever is over them, God, whatever heaviness, whatever they're carrying, God, that they would be able to receive your word. We thank you, Lord, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, on, on Sundays, we you can come to church, I realized, and you can not talk to anyone else around you. So before I get into the word, I want you to just turn to someone you don't know. Just say hello. It may, it may be someone you do know, but just turn around, say hello to someone, introduce yourself. Say you look dashing. You look amazing. All right. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Genesis chapter one. If you if you have your Bibles, start with turn to Genesis chapter one. And we're going to read three verses. We're going to read from verses one to three. These are the most famous verses, I believe, in all of Scripture. These verses have the most meaning, I believe, in all of scripture, that if you get these three verses or you get these couple verses wrong, you get Genesis chapter one wrong. Nothing else makes sense. If you get Genesis chapter one off, if you don't believe Genesis chapter one. It doesn't matter if you get to the Gospels, it won't make any sense because Genesis chapter one sets the foundation for what we believe as Christians. So Genesis chapter one, we're going to read just three verses, verses one, two, three. I'll read it. You can look along with me. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Amen. Today, I want to talk to you on the topic, the word and spirit. So if you're taking notes, I highly suggest you take notes because none of us have that great memory. But word and spirit. Genesis chapter one, verse one to three, it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it says that the spirit of God was present in Genesis chapter one, verses one to three. We see the Trinity all present. We see God, the father. And then we see the spirit of God hovering over the deep. And then as God spoke, we see the word. And if you want to see creative power, if you want to see creation happen in your life, if you want to see new things start to happen in your life, you need two components. You need the word and you need the spirit. As the spirit of God was hovering over the waters, God spoke and all of a sudden creation happened. Right. And so word and spirit is so important in the Christian life. See, in in Matthew 22, verse 29, Jesus told the Sadducees, he said, you're wrong. Because, you know, neither the scripture, you don't know the word, neither the power of God. You don't know the spirit. 
And if you want to see God move, if you want to see breakthrough, if you want to see God touch your life and power, you need two components. You need the word of God and you need the spirit of God. And you need them both. You know, there was this healing evangelist in in England by the name of Smith Wigglesworth. How many of us have heard of Smith Wigglesworth? He's got the most interesting last name ever, right? Like, how can you forget somebody's, what's your name? Uh, Smith, what's your your last name? Wigglesworth. (laughs) You know, like, it's really hard for him to date within his family, right? Because everyone he knows, like, Wigglesworth, we got to be related. It's not like in Korea, you meet someone whose last name's Kim. You got to ask, what kind of Kim are you? It's not like that. Wigglesworth, right? He's a healing evangelist. Smith Wigglesworth had some of the most amazing miracles ever recorded. Like, he would see crazy things like there's there's miracles where he would even he didn't did he he wasn't the one who kicked someone and they came alive right he punched him in the uh, it was a person who who needed healing in their stomach was it uh, and and he kicked them or he punched them in the stomach and god healed them that's wild take a moment to just think about that like if you're walking down the street and someone walks up to you in the name of jesus you're gonna punch back right you know but they got healed like he would. He saw the dead raised to life. He saw the, the lame walk. He saw the blind see the deaf hear. He saw a crazy miracles. And, and Smith Wigglesworth was really instrumental in seeing the power of God released in England during that time. And there was this prophetic word that he released at the end of his life. That's really amazing. He said that when the word and the spirit come together, there will be the biggest movement of the Holy Spirit that the nation and indeed the world has ever seen. And what he meant by that was that in that time, there were people who in the church who really emphasized the word. All I care about is the word. All I love is the word of God. I read my Bible every day. I pray every day. I love to study my Bible. I have four concordances. I know every word in Hebrew, every word in Greek. It's all about the word. But then you had the other people that were all about the spirit. And so the power of God would come. And they'd do the Harlem shake. <laughs> they speak in tongues. They're like, oh, I love your presence. I love your presence. I love you, Jesus. You know, all about the spirit. Right? Charismatics. You know, New Philly, we like to consider ourselves reformed charismatics. But then a lot of people come to our church and they're like, all I see is the charismatic. <laughs> Where's the reformed at? All I see is the charismatic, Right? Because like even at our leadership retreat, you know, God's power was coming and we, we embraced the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit's ministry is for today. And so he said, but when you'll see revival in the earth is when the people who believe in the word and the people who believe in the spirit come together. That's because there's creative power when the word and the spirit come together. But if you have one without the other, you're in trouble. If you're all word But no spirit, it's dry religious activity and duty. Some of you you may be struggling with that right now. You read your Bible, you pray, but the Christian walk for you seems so hard. It seems so difficult. You're wondering why you don't have the power to actually live out what you read. You read the book of Acts and you're thinking, man, this sounds awesome, but this never happens when I pray. But then there's some people who also, they're all spirit and no word. All spirit and no word is directionless sensuality. You know, oh, I, I experience God's presence. I love God. I shika balasamba. But then you have no character, no integrity. 
Even your mind is weak. You can have Jesus talked about it like this in John chapter one, grace and truth. That Jesus is the fullness of both grace and truth. But if you have grace with no truth, what you have is people doing anything they want. See, that's one of the biggest controversies right now in the church. That's why, because you have so many churches nowadays who are saying, it's all grace. It's all grace. You can sleep with ever, whoever you want to be with. Oh, you can be with anyone you want to. You can do whatever you want to because it's all covered by the blood. It's all grace and no truth. But then you have people who are all truth, but no grace. But in order for you to walk in the ways that God has called you to walk in, you need both. You need grace and truth. You need the word and the spirit. Amen. You can put it like this. All word with no spirit is direction without power. But all spirit with no word is power without direction. You got all this power, got all this strength. But what are you supposed to do with it? You know, David said in Psalm 119 that the word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That the word is what gives us direction. It's a lamp to my feet because it reveals where I'm currently standing. Where are you really at with God? The word of God does that. And it's a light to my path because it begins to reveal where I need to go. What I need to do. But then in Zechariah 4, 9, we see that it says that not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So you need both. And as I was praying for Pusan and as I was praying for this campus, what I felt like God really wanted to emphasize was that you guys got the spirit. I mean, were you guys here during worship just now? Yeah, you all were here, right? Unless you came in mad late and then you snuck in, you know. But you guys got the spirit. And I feel like God is moving in his spiritual power. So the Holy Spirit moves in so much power and glory here. But the question is, do you have the word? You need the word because the word brings truth. Jesus said in John seventeen seventeen, sanctify them by the word for your word is truth. I'll read a quote by R.T. Kendall. He was the pastor in, uh, in, in England. He was in pastor in England. He said this. He said, to understand the Bible, you must be on good terms with the Holy Spirit. He wrote the Bible, right? All scripture is God breathed. He alone can open your mind to understand his own word, word and spirit. But when we grieve the Holy Spirit through bitterness or quench him through fear, the inevitable result is an inability to focus on his word. So they work together. Yet to put it the other way around, to be on good terms with the Holy Spirit, you need to know your Bible and to know it well. My question to you today is how well do you know the word? Do you cherish the word? Do you obey the word? Do you meditate on the word day and night? Is the word something that you constantly look to for instruction, direction and guidance? I'll talk about the, I want to talk to you today about the word. One thing I want you to know about the word of God is that God himself exalts his word. 
I want you to turn to Psalm 138, verse 2. Some of you may be thinking, is this like a read your Bible kind of message? Yes. It's one of those. Because you can be filled with all kinds of power. You can be filled with all kinds of glory. But if you don't have the word, you won't walk in God's purposes. If you, you can be filled with with all this power, you can experience God supernaturally time and time again. But if you don't have a sound foundation in the word of God, you won't walk in the truth. You'll walk in deception. And a person who's filled with power, who walks in deception, is dangerous. Psalm 138, verse 2. I want you to hear what David says. He says, I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. In the NIV, it says, you have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. In the King James Version, check it out what it says in the KJV. I like the King James. It says, for thou hast magnified thy word above thy name. Now, what this verse is saying is that God puts his word above his own name. I want to read this quote for you. It says, God cares more about his word than even his own name. The word is his integrity put on the line. And God regards his integrity more than he does his reputation or even his power. People are not saved by seeing miracles. They are saved by hearing the gospel. And see, the thing is, is that the spirit can bring power. But unless the gospel is preached... There's no salvation unless the word of God is proclaimed. There's no life change. So you can experience God. You can have an experience. But unless the word goes out. There's no change. In Genesis chapter one, we see that the earth is formless and void and the spirit is hovering over the deep. The presence of God is there. But until the word of God comes, there's still that formlessness and void. Some of us are wondering why so many of us, we feel like I'm formless and void. I don't know what's going on. I still feel empty. I've had encounter after encounter, but I still feel like I don't have any direction. I still feel like God's not forming things in my life. And it's because the word of God has not dwelled in you richly. See, it was only when the word went out that the spirit was able to bring creation in. So how are you with the word? Why does God exalt his word? He he exalts his word because his word is his integrity. You ever heard that statement? A man is only as good as his word. It applies to God. The reason why we know God is good is because of his word and because he keeps his word. See, when God speaks in his word, it is telling us more about himself than even him showing up in power. However, for many of us, we think that the word of God is secondary at best, right? 
give me an encounter, give me an encounter, give me an encounter, and I'll read the Bible when I got time. I didn't have quite time today. I didn't. Did I even bring my Bible? I got it on my phone. I'll scroll. We see the word of God as being secondary as best, but God puts his word above his own name. You know, to Jews, to Jews, the greatest confession to Jews is in Deuteronomy. I believe it's Deuteronomy chapter six. And we see it later on in the Gospels when Jesus, when Jesus is asked, you know, or Jesus asks or he is asked, I get it mixed up. What is the greatest commandment? And then it's called Shema Israel, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Jews, they see this as the one of the, the greatest proclamation that they can make about God, that the Lord our God is one. And you know what this means? It means that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That throughout all time, God is a God who does not change. That what he has said from Genesis chapter one for what he says now, it all lines up together. God is a man of his word. God is a person of his word. He's not a man. He's a person of his word. Well, Jesus is a man. You get what I'm trying to say. And so the greatest confession that they make is that God is a person of integrity. And really what this is saying is that God is not two faced when the Lord our God is one. That means that God will say something. God won't say something and do something else. That means that God won't do something in your life, but then it not match up with his word. But God, because God is one. So what God says, God does. And what God does, God says. And it all matches up together. You ever met someone that says one thing and does another? You ever met someone who's one thing on Tuesday and another person on Wednesday? No, but Jesus is the same all the way throughout. And we find that this is confirmed in his word. Integrity is someone who says one thing and actually does it. And it comes from the word integer. How many of us know math? <laughs> Not me. I had to look it up. I was like, oh, the root word integer. Mr. Webster, tell me what that means. Integer means a thing that is complete in itself. A whole number a number that is not a fraction. That God is not divided against himself. He doesn't say one thing in his word, but in his actions, he's decided to do another thing. That's why he places so much emphasis on his word. And so if you want to know God, if you want to go in connection with God, you've got to begin to value his word. Because you can have an experience with God, but it's his word that's going to bring understanding to that experience. You know, the word has so much meaning that when Jesus is referred to in John chapter one, John doesn't refer him to him initially as the son of God or as the Messiah. Or as the one who's come to save us all, he refers to him as what the word. John chapter one, verse one to four, it says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. 
verse 14, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. See, God exalts his word. God values his word. He exalts it even above his own name. How do you value his word? You you want me to tell you someone who values the word of God? Satan. Satan values the word of God. I want you to turn to Matthew 13. Matthew 13, 18 to 23. So in Matthew 13, Jesus, Jesus loved to speak in parables, right? He was just constantly throwing out all these different parables and people are trying to figure out what's going on. You know, Jesus, he's doing all these amazing things. But when he starts talking, I have no idea what he's talking about, Right. And then in Matthew 13, he starts and he gives this parable. And it's a really famous parable. It's called the parable of the sower. Pastor Rodney, he, he talked out of this parable on Friday night to our leaders. He says, the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, verse 1. And crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow. All right. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And then what's funny is after he tells his parable, he kind of draws away for a moment. And then the disciples come to him. Could you imagine if you were like in the group, you were just standing over there and you hear Jesus say this parable? Like we take it for granted, right? Because Jesus explains it a couple verses later. But imagine if you were standing there and you're like, okay, man, I came all this way to hear a sermon. From Jesus. Let's hear it. So some seed fell upon rocky soil. You sound like, wait, what? What? Like, if I gave you a sermon like that right now, all of you would be, like, offended. <laughs> some of you are like, I wasted my time this Sunday. Now, some of you thinking that right now, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> but he says to them, he says, why do you speak to them in parables? And he tells them that To you, it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And then he explains it to them in verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. Pause right there for a moment. What Jesus is saying is that when the word goes out, Satan is crouching right there waiting to take it. 
Satan knows that if the word of God can grow and it can be buried in your heart, if it will take root inside of you, that it's going to bear fruit. So he's constantly waiting because he knows that there's power. Keep reading. As for one that was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Man, that was a great sermon. Oh, my gosh, that sermon changed my life. Oh, did you hear how anointed that was? I love that joke. Oh, man, it was so awesome. Great Sunday. But verse 21, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the Christian, on account of you, on account of the fact that God loves you so much and, and so persecution and tribulation is coming against you. No, no. On account of the word. What that means is that when tribulation and persecution comes, when Satan attacks at your life, he's not really attacking at you. He's attacking at the word that God has spoken over you. That when things start to happen in your life and it's tribulation or it's persecution, what is being attacked in that moment is not you so much. It's the word that's been spoken over you. See, for so many of us, when we start experiencing hardship, we start experiencing tribulation or Satan starts to attack us. We think that he's attacking us, not recognizing that he's chiefly going after the word that has been spoken into your life. See, the one thing Satan doesn't want you to do is for you to know your Bible. Oh, that sounds like mad Sunday school, right? That sounds mad Sunday school, right? But Jesus said, sanctify them by the word for the word is truth. And so if Satan can attack the truth in your life, he can establish you in deception. And so what we don't realize is that Satan is chiefly after the word in your life. Jesus himself is the word made manifest. And if you want to see the word made manifest in your life, you've got to understand that it needs to take root in your life. And Satan understands that power. You see it in Genesis chapter 3. When Satan tempts Eve. Does he go up to him and be like, you know, Eve, did God really walk with you in the cool of the day? Did you really experience God's presence? Is that what he says? You notice Satan does not attack their spiritual experience. He did not attack whether or not God was with them. He attacked whether or not God had actually spoken. Because what Satan is after is the word in your life. See, there's so many words and so many things that God has spoken into your life, but we allow Satan to attack the word. Not knowing that when that word can take root in your heart, it will always bear fruit. Because the spirit of God is committed to the word of God. See, Satan is after the word. What Satan hates is the word. You know, every heresy, you know, heresy, write down the word heresy. The word heresy means false doctrine. In every other religion out there, in every cult, every heresy that exists today exists not because Satan challenges a spiritual experience, but because Satan challenges the word of God. 
Don't believe me? I'll give you some examples. Islam. You know how Islam was started? A man by the name of Muhammad, who was a merchant, maybe a, he was a violent man. He has this spiritual experience in a cave. He is in a cave, and all of a sudden, an angel shows up. And this angel wakes him up in his sleep because he's sleeping in a cave. He wakes him up in his sleep and he shakes him. And it says in the Quran that Muhammad was so gripped by fear and that what this this demon really was speaking to him was saying, speak, proclaim, speak, proclaim. And he said, no, I don't want to do it. I know I don't want to do it. But then he was continually gripped by fear that even in the Quran, it talks about and even the writers the the Islamic writers at that time say that Muhammad was struggling with, he was foaming at the mouth, he, was, he had uh, nightmares, he had all kinds of crazy experiences during this time. Does this sound like Jesus? No. Anytime an angel shows up in the Bible, the first thing they say is, do not be afraid. Shows up, shakes him, and says, speak, speak. Ultimately, he relents and says, okay, I'll do it. And then all of a sudden, this demonic revelation comes, and that's where the Quran flows from. And the Quran is chiefly against the word of God. They have Abraham, but rather than Isaac being the chosen son, Ishmael is. It says explicitly in the Quran that well, Jesus was a, he was a prophet, but that he's not the son of God. Inside the Dome of the Rock, which is currently on the Temple Mount, you know the, ver- you know the verse from the Quran that it says on the inside? It says that God had no son. When Satan attacks, he's chiefly going after the word. Mormonism. We go through the list. Joseph Smith, it was, a couple, it was not too long after the Great Awakening. Joseph Smith in New England, he goes to a forest and he's encountered by this angel By the name of Moroni. Moron. (laughs) And this angel grips him with fear and tells him that the previous revelations from the Bible are not complete. And therefore you need to go and dig up and gives him these two golden tablets from which he has new revelation that's called the book that ends up becoming the book of Mormon. Jehovah's Witnesses, they have their own translation of the Bible and the first and you know what they you know, the one thing that is changed the most is in John chapter one, where it in John chapter one, we just read. We, I just said it in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was. And then they introduce a God. When Satan attacks, he's not after your spiritual experience. If you talk to a Muslim, you talk to a Jehovah's Witness, you talk to a Mormon, they're not against you praying. They're not against you encountering and having a spiritual experience. But what they are against is the word. You ever encounter someone from the heavenly mother cult? Right. Mm. Sounds like all of you have. <laughs> as soon as I said heavenly mother, everyone's like, mm. Mm. just happened to me today. 
They take Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and they pervert it, where it says that in God's image, he created them, male and female. He created them, which is supposed to point us to the Trinity. They take it and say, oh, well, can't you see right here? It's male and female. He created them. That must mean that there's a mother God, too. What is Satan attacking? The word. Satan values the word much more than we do. Even within church history, you got to know church history as well. There was this there was this uh, heresy known as Marcionism. There was this guy by the name of Marcion. And Marcion began to go out and he started to create a following. And Marcion had he introduced this new teaching to the body of Christ. And this is what it was. He said that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are different. The God of the Old Testament is Jehovah, and he's a God of wrath. But the God of the New Testament is a God of grace. You know, so many believers today still believe that. I don't want to read the New Old Testament. It's all about wrath and death. And I don't want to understand that because God seems so harsh in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, it's all about love. It's all about Jesus. It's all about life. Ooh, I love New Testament. It's deception. And what is Satan chiefly attacking? He's attacking the word. I introduce these things to show you not not to have you leaving this place like, oh, I got to watch out for these cults. But to kind of open up your eyes to the fact that Satan, he puts so much more primacy on the word of God than we do oftentimes. Because he knows that if he can twist what God has spoken, your actions will follow suit. With Eve, all he had to do was twist what God had spoken and then sin entered. If you wonder why you fall into sin, it's not because of a lack of a spiritual experience. It's probably because your understanding of God's word has been twisted. And that has led to you living out that deception. If Satan knows that he can get you to live outside of God's word or forget God's word or not value God's word, then he knows that he's got you. There's someone in the there's someone in the Bible that doesn't value God's word. I want to talk about I've been talking about him all this past weekend. His name is Saul. Oh, better call Saul. Turn to to first Samuel. I'm going to tell you about this guy named Saul. Saul. Saul is a tall, good looking, rich guy. It, it actually says that it says that Saul came. His dad was wealthy. Mm. His dad was wealthy. He was a head and shoulders above everyone else. He was the tallest guy in the room. And it says that he was handsome. I mean, when Saul walked in the room, all the ladies were like, who is that? What is his name? Saul. And so Saul gets set apart and Saul gets anointed and Saul becomes king. And what happens in. In first it what happens in first Samuel uh, chapter 13 is that God that Samuel tells Saul to wait. He tells Saul to wait seven days and then he's going to give the sacrifice. 
And then that's after that sacrifice is going to establish Saul as king. But Saul can't wait that long, right? Or he waits seven days, but he can't wait any longer than that. And so Samuel, he had some things going on. So he was a little late. He was a little late. Man of God was late. It's okay. Give him a little grace. And but Saul can't wait. He can't wait because he's afraid of what will happen. And he's afraid that all these people are going to leave him. So what does he do? He takes the fire and he offers up a sacrifice on his own. Now, the law and the word of God in that time was that only the priests, only the, the, the set apart ones were the ones who were permitted to offer those sacrifices. But Saul decides that I'm going to offer up a sacrifice on my own. He puts himself up above the word of God. I don't have to obey this. I've waited long enough. I can take things into my own hands. And so Samuel comes to Saul and he says, what have you done? And he says, well, I gave this fire. And he's like. God was going, the Lord was going to establish your kingdom forever. But now it's going to go to a man after his own heart. We know that's talking about David. But, you know, the interesting thing is that Saul remained king for 20 years after this moment. The favor of God, the presence of God over his life left him in that very moment. But he was king for 20 years. That meant that on the outside, everyone thought it was okay. On the outside, he looked good. Everything looked good. But on the inside, everything was off. And then, but there's a story in Saul's life that I want to point to. And this story really gets me. I want you to turn to 1 Samuel 19. First Samuel 19. So we know that after this happens, a harmful spirit comes upon Saul and Saul starts trying to kill David. Right. He's just going after David. David's up in there. He's playing the harp for him. You know, he's just getting all this soothing because David's so anointed. And all of a sudden he would just turn into a rage and throw a spear. Like you think you may have a bad work environment. <laughs> like think about David. Like every day he had to go in. To get, <laughs> I don't know if he's going to kill me or not. I'm sorry, your job is nowhere near as bad as David's. And so he's sitting in there and David flees and David's now kind of on the run from Saul. And then Saul sends out messengers to try to get to him. And he finds out that that David has fled to where Samuel is. Now, Samuel's a prophet of God. Samuel has a mighty anointing upon his life. And so he sends messengers out to where David is. Right. And so you you got these messengers and they come and Samuel's just there chilling. Samuel's just sitting there chilling. He's he's got everyone around him and David somewhere in the back hiding. And every time a messenger would come up, the spirit of God would come upon them and they would start shaking under the power of God and they would start prophesying. And Saul's like, I got everything I do. I have to do everything myself, you know, so he decides, you know, I'm going to go. And I'm going to get David myself. So he just goes, you know. And he just, he goes out to where he is. And that was my best horse, okay. <laughs> I was not going to be up in here like that. All right. Uh, but anyways. <laughs> so he's out. And I want you to see this. I want you to see. Um, I want you to see verse 22. First Samuel 19, verse 22. Then he, meaning Saul, 
himself went to Ramah. This is where Samuel and David were both were and came to the great well that is in Siku. And he asked where or he was close there. He said, where are Samuel and David? And one said, behold, they are they are at Nioth in Ramah. And so he went there. And the spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. And once he got there, he stripped off his clothes and he too prophesied before Samuel and laid naked all that day and all that night. Thus, it is said, is Saul also among the prophets? See, Saul disobeyed the word of God. He was rejected. From God. In fact, he was on the way to try and kill David. But because of the anointing that was on Samuel, as soon as he came into the place, he was shaking, he was manifesting, and he himself started to prophesy. He prophesied so accurately that everyone was like, oh, snap, is Saul a prophet too? What does this mean? It means that when the spirit of God is moving in a place, you may be manifesting, you may be experiencing God's presence, you may even be prophesying. But if the word of God is not inside of you, you can still be rejected by him. You can still be walking in rebellion and still be functioning in the spiritual gifts. See, the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable, which means God won't take them away. But for many of us, especially in churches that move in the Holy Spirit, we think that if we've experienced the presence, we've shaken under God, that therefore that means we're right with God. But you're only right with God when you're obeying his word. Because God puts his word above his own name. And so the question is not whether or not You're feeling his presence. The question isn't even if you're prophesying. The question is, is the spirit of God birthing in you a greater hunger for his word? What? How do you feel about his word? Now, start off by saying, you know, all word and no spirit is dry religious activity. There's some of you. You need that encounter. You've never had that encounter. And you've just been trying to do it all in your own strength. But you need the spirit of God. It is power. That word is dunamis. It means ability that you yourself do not possess. And the spirit of God is meant to give you that. But the spirit of God is also more than anything else, meant to illuminate in your heart a greater desire for Jesus. And that desire comes, it comes coupled with a desire for his word. That story about Saul, when I, when I read it, it scared me to death. It scared me. It put the fear of the Lord in my heart. And it should. That God, I've had this experience. But is the fruit of it pushing me to your word? Is the fruit of it pushing me to you? See, Satan is after the word of God in your life. 
He wants to choke out the word. He wants to snatch the word. See, you guys, the spirit of God already is moving in this place. But that revival power gets released when it's coupled with his word. You know, I'll tell two quick stories and then I'll close. A couple years ago, I, uh, I was, we were at a retreat and there were, uh, there were a few sisters at my campus that I was praying for. I was praying for God to encounter them powerfully. Like God, just, I use this word, wreck them, God. Touch them with your power in such a way that is just like ridiculous, God, please. Like, because like they were getting on my nerves. <laughs> it happens as a campus pastor. Like, you know, Pastor Caleb Mabina won't admit that, but they may privately. <laughs> And I was praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. And I was like, God, I pray, God, that you would touch them by your spirit. I pray, God, that you would. Because there were just so many things they were struggling with. And it was so heavy on my heart. I wanted them to experience breakthrough. And I was praying and praying and praying. And then the retreat happens. And the Saturday night at the retreat. Saturday night at the retreat. Like, it's like God, like, marks off Saturday night for some reason. Like, this is the time where it's going to go down. Whether you're in college, high school, or you're adult, Saturday night is going to go down Saturday night. <laughs> like, you know. And so Saturday night comes and it's crazy. And those three girls, they get like boom, shakalaka, like just, yeah, like just woosa. They get hit. Like it's crazy. Like Dragon Ball Z, like Kamehameha, like. I mean, it's just wild, and they're shaking under the power of God. They're, oh, my gosh. I'm like, and I'm seeing it. I'm like, thank you, Lord. Thank you. You've answered my prayers. They, yes. Whoosh. And uh, then I go to them. I go to them after the retreat, and I'm expecting them to be like, it was the most amazing thing in my life. Like, it changed my life. And I was like, hey, so, so what, what happened? You know, how was the retreat for you? You know what I'm saying? That, that question right there. So how was the retreat? God touch you? Yeah. Yeah. And they said, each one said, one girl said, eh, I mean, it's all right. All right. All right. What? You were on the, you were on the ground flopping like a fish. Like, all right. I could have sworn that you were getting like, that you were like fire of God was all on you. You were sizzling. Like it was something was happening. I was like, what's going on, God? What's going on? I go to the next girl. Hey, how was the retreat for you? You know, I'm not really sure what happened. Not really. What you mean you're not really sure? And I went to God with it and I was like, God, what's going on? And he said, Marcus, my spirit came upon them, but there was no word that was rooted in their heart. Wait, what? See, the spirit comes, signs and wonders come in confirmation of the word. You know, in, the, in Acts, they preached the word of God and signs and wonders accompanied the preaching 
of the word. The spirit's committed to the word. I was like, they were like, I don't know what to do. I don't know. And so I sat one of them down and said, listen, you know why God touched you so powerfully? I don't know why. Why? Why? Because he wants you to go back and listen to that sermon. He wants you to go back and meditate on that word. He touched you so powerfully because there was something in that word that he was wanting to spark in your life. See, Charles Spurgeon said it like this. He said, I looked to Christ and the dove, meaning the Holy Spirit appeared. But I looked to the dove. And the dove flew away. Meaning that when you look to Christ, who is the word. The spirit comes. And he'll come to confirm it and to create it and birth it in your life. But if you just look to the dove, the manifestations, the spiritual experience, even those things will fly away. This past week, this past week I was at K1. I was at our, our uh, the Kingdom First Prayer Tabernacle, the House of Prayer in New Philly in Seoul. And I was there and... In my, in my quiet time earlier that, that morning, I just felt really dry. I was like reading and I was like, God, I was in prayer. So I not opened up my Bible yet. I was in prayer and I just couldn't sense God's presence. I was like, God, where are you? God, where are you? I'm praying. I'm praying. And I just don't sense him. And then I go to the prayer tabernacle and I start praying again. And I was like, God, where are you? I can't sense you. I don't know if you're here. Are you even listening to me? Am I even saved? What's going on right now? And I feel like God was like, hey, why don't you open up your Bible? All right. So I go to my Bible reading. Because if you read the Bible, you should read it systematically. Don't just read it like, oh, I wonder what God has for me today. (laughs) There's a grace for that when you initially come to Christ. But over time, you need to read it systematically. Why? Because if not, you'll just choose what you want. And then you'll miss the whole counsel of scripture. There's certain things God wants to speak to you that you will not get by your own choice. And so I just open up to my Bible reading. And it was an obscure passage. It was somewhere. I don't know what's going on. But as I begin to pray, I begin to read. I ask the Holy Spirit, come and reveal your word. And all of a sudden, All of a sudden, the word of God started to come alive. And God began to speak into my exact situation. Not from a a minister who came and laid hands on me. Not from some spiritual experience. But from his word. And you know what? When God speaks to you that way, you can always go back to it. Not saying that there's anything wrong with prophetic words or anything like that. But he just began to make that word come alive. And I just began to weep. And every passage, every verse I was reading, it was just like it was God speaking directly into my situation, directly to me. And I walked away from that encounter changed. See, God has encounters for you in his word. And he wants to take you deeper in his word. For many of you leaders, what you experienced this past weekend, it wasn't just some spiritual experience. It was God awakening in you a greater passion and commitment to his word. Let's pray together.
you know, the Holy Spirit, he loves to illuminate and confirm the word in our lives. Why? Because he wrote it. He inspired it. And he wants us to be a people who meditate on, live according to his word. Who are sanctified according to his word. For some of you, there's certain sin patterns you've been struggling with, and it won't come through another experience of, you know, and don't take this too far, but another experience of like his love or his presence. That breakthrough actually is going to come through an encounter, encountering God's truth in his word. I feel like there's some of you here that have been struggling.